From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, we've just heard that the Reserve Bank is holding interest rates for the first time in 10 months, which is a big relief for those of us with mortgages. But this isn't necessarily the end of it, is it? That's right. And the bank has made it very clear that uh, there might be another rate hike later on. It's uh, really put itself in a position to wait and see, to make judgments about uh, how the economy is going in the coming weeks. And in its statement, it says the board expects that some further tightening of monetary policy may well be needed to ensure that inflation returns to target. Now, inflation has peaked, but nevertheless, it's still high and uh, the bank is absolutely determined that fighting inflation is its number one priority. So people can breathe a sigh of relief, but don't go on the spending spree because those mortgages could still go up in coming months. Okay, and now on to the big news from the weekend, which was the Aston by-election down here in Melbourne. While there were some people who thought Labor might be able to win, most people seemed to think the Liberals would get it over the line narrowly. However, in the end, it was a very convincing win for Labor, and that came on top of a huge swing against the sitting member at last year's federal election. What did you make of it, Michelle? It's devastating for the Liberals, there's no doubt about it, because of course it also came a week after they lost government in New South Wales. Now, that loss was predicted, I think, but uh, nevertheless, it does mean that uh, nothing is going right for them at the moment. They know they need to regroup, but precisely how to do that is not at all clear and it won't be quick. Uh, I think that they will intensify their policy work, but also they need to address the party organisation, which is in a shocking state in uh, many parts of the country. Obviously, the main reasons for the loss were that uh, people were still anxious to give the government a fair go and the voters didn't like Peter Dutton. Now, there are other reasons, but I think those were central reasons. But I think, Amanda, there's one interesting point also in this result. The Liberal candidate was much praised and seemed to tick the boxes of being a woman coming from an ethnic heritage and was also well qualified in terms of being a barrister, but she came from the other side of town. Now, as I say, there were other reasons, but I think the message also here is that at the moment, voters like locals. The Labor candidate didn't actually live in the electorate, but she lived in the region and had done so for three decades plus. And of course, we saw this in the federal election too, when Labor's high-profile candidate, Christina Keneally, was uh, unsuccessful in the seat of Fowler in Sydney and a local independent beat her. So there is a message here about localism and the candidates 
who are most acceptable to voters. And this is a bit double-edged too because it does mean that there's not the same opportunity that you might want for parties to get highly qualified people into seats where they're not locals. You might want those sort of people in Parliament, but how do they find a way in when people really want the um, the girl or guy down the road, as it were? Yes, but then I guess the flip side to that argument is that they are meant to be the representatives for a certain area and you can't represent an area if you don't really know it. Well, that's true up to a point, but of course you can have a, a, a strong candidate who moves into the area and gets to know it very well and is also qualified on other fronts. Mm. It is, it's a complicated argument. It is. All right, and Michelle, speaking of complicated arguments, tomorrow the Liberals are going to meet to discuss their position on the voice to Parliament. They have made some demands for changes, which it seems are unlikely to be met by the government. What's the feeling about how that will pan out? We know that there's a majority feeling against the government's proposal in the Liberal Party room and we know that Peter Dutton has toughened up his rhetoric against it in recent weeks. Now, Julian Lisa, who's the spokesman in this area, put a a detailed critique out yesterday when he spoke to the National Press Club and he was objecting to the nature of the model. He said it wasn't uh, local and regional enough and he was also warning against the wording. So that's the backdrop to the party meeting. They could just say no, that they were totally against the referendum proposal or they could try and put up some fig leaf saying, for example, they uh, wanted to back a body that was more local and regional or they wanted to back a body that was legislated that wasn't in the constitution or that they backed constitutional recognition but not now and so a referendum shouldn't be this year or they could have a mixture of all those things. We don't know exactly what they will do, but I think we do know that they won't come out saying, yes, we are fully behind a a yes case. That is not going to happen. No. Do you think there could be a conscience vote for members? Well, I think that there's quite a lot of pressure for this, and I think Julian Lisa was indicating that he thought there should be. Now, when we're talking about a conscience vote here, if we're talking about the referendum campaign itself, we're talking about whether shadow ministers, whether the front bench members are bound or not bound by the overall party position. We're not talking about backbenchers because they can do what they like essentially under Liberal Party rules. It's not like caucus where people have to follow the caucus line. But uh, we saw in the Republic referendum that uh, ministers in the then Howard government went in in various directions. There were ministers who were on the no side, ministers on the yes side, and the yes ministers divided up between those who supported the model the government put up, the official model, and those who wanted another model. So Julian Lisa indicated that he thought that um, free situation had been good in the uh, case of the Republic referendum and obviously would like to see it this time. How that will fly in the party room, who knows? 
Okay, and yesterday, Michelle, came the very sad news of the death of the Aboriginal leader, Yunipingu. He was an amazing and extraordinary leader who effectively straddled two cultures, wasn't he? Well, he did, and I think that was part of his strength, that he was able to operate just as effectively in the mainstream Australian culture as he was in the traditional Indigenous culture, and he had respect on both sides of uh, of that particular divide and also, of course, on both sides of politics. He dealt with prime ministers of both complexions, over decades. And even when he was a very young man, when he hadn't even hit 30, he was very effective. And I do actually remember when there were negotiations between the Fraser government and uh, the Aboriginal uh, Land Council over the proposed Ranger uranium mining, he took Malcolm Fraser on a fishing trip to an area where usually only Aboriginal people were able to fish, but this was part of the mutual courtship between the then Prime Minister and this very young uh, Indigenous leader, which in the end led to an agreement that enabled the start of that mining project, which of course was controversial. He did run into some criticism uh, even among the Indigenous community over the deal, but nevertheless the deal was done. Finally, Michelle, the government has announced a ban on the use of the social media app TikTok on government-owned devices. How is that likely to play out? Well, this is in line with what's been done in other countries uh, which are part of the Five Eyes network. And I think that um, what you are seeing is that state governments also will follow this lead. So I don't think that uh, there'll be much blowback on this. The uh, opposition is uh, simply, or some of the opposition simply saying, well, they didn't act fast enough. Uh, and of course, it's only uh, official devices, government devices and so on that the ban applies to. It's not a, a general ban of, of TikTok. All right, Michelle, terrific to talk with you as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Amanda. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.